Good morning. There we go. Uh, yeah, the rest of you are waking up. So, um, I'm not Alan. Uh, Alan is uh, on the trip, as uh, Howard uh, told us earlier. He did text me and said to say hello in Spanish for everyone. Hello in Spanish from Alan. Um, and if I don't want to do it poorly. Um, so my name is Jacob. I'm a deacon here, um, and I work in the, uh, with the youth and with worship and just anywhere um, that, uh, that I've been able to, and it's, it's been great. Um, and I don't know if this is your first time with us this morning. If so, welcome. We are glad that you're here. Um, or if this is, uh, you know, if you've been here many times, um, we're glad you're here too and that you're coming back. Uh, We have been walking through the book of Acts, and so this week we're still in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 18. I don't have any maps. I don't have any, okay, um, I know, okay, so you're just going to bear with me. I'm going to clue you in on some things if you're taking notes. But my my heart this morning is, is, man, I have been just, I've been walking in a funk, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I've been walking in this, like, when's God going to move? When's he going to do something? When's he going to be something? And and what I've been reminded, and we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to tell you about it now, and I'm going to tell you about it there, and I'm going to tell you about it again. What we're reminded of is that we don't wait on a Lord who's going to show up and do something, and it's going to magically make everything better. That's American Christianity, that that, that you wait, it's a genie, you pray, you come and you hear sermons about your problems and about your finances and your marriage and all that stuff, and it's going to make it magically better because you're going to do this, this, and this. That's not the God of the Bible that I read about. The God of the Bible is the God who says, fear not, for I am with you. And as you walk through different seasons of life, as you walk through challenges, as you walk through difficulties, what you have is the presence of a God in heaven with you. And it's good to be reminded of that. I was watching America's Got Talent. Um, I don't know if any of you watch America's Got Talent, and some of you may be thinking I'm the most sinful person for watching it, and some of you are like, amen, we love it too. And that's good. We're all different here, and we all pray the same God. So I was watching America's Got Talent um, last week on Saturday, and uh, there was a group, and they were a choir from uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. And they come on, and there's 17 of them on stage, and they're going to sing this song. This was a choir that was formed because 20 years ago, the uh, now directors were carjacked. And they were carjacked by uh, two young people. And they thought, this is horrible, that young people would, would turn to carjacking. We need to do something. And their do something was to start a choir. And so they start this choir. They make it all the way to America's Got Talent, and they start singing a song. And the song that they sing was a song that was performed on America's Got Talent two years before by a girl named Nightbird. Um, and Nightbird, I, I, see, I see one head. Okay, one person's tracking. Okay, good. So Nightbird... Uh, was on there two years ago, and her real name is Jane, and she had written a song, and the lyric said, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, to feel lost, we're all a little lost, and it's all right, and she wrote this song, and if you haven't seen it, listen, after, not now, I know you could now, but not now, after, like, YouTube it, it it's great, okay, so she wrote this song, and, and what we find out, because I do a little interview, is she's actually walking through cancer, 
and had walked through her. And even at the time where she was on the show, she had cancer in her spine and her liver, and she had 2% odds of surviving. And she said, on TV, she said, 2% is not 0%, though. And she said, I wish people could know what that's like. That 2% is not like 0%. I wish people could know what it's like, what I've got, because I'm walking through this. They asked her, um, so I researched her. She's a, she's a believer. Like, as I was listening to her, I was like, she has to be. <laughs> she, has to, she has to know Jesus. How can you, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I fear no evil, how can you be who she is and where she is without knowing this Savior in a deeper way than I do? And they asked her, they said, how, how do you sing these songs of hope and these songs? And, and she said, I just think you don't have to wait till life's not hard to be happy. So this was two years ago. And back then, I boohooing, right? So I'm watching it Saturday, and this group from South Africa starts singing, and they start singing, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay to feel lost. We're all a little lost, and it's all right. But they're doing it with voices much prettier than mine, <laughs> and 17 of them on a stage. And they're singing, and, and they were asked after, why did you choose her song? And they said, well, actually, in 2021, when we heard her sing, we reached out to her, and we asked her if we could sing it, and she answered so beautifully. And this song has become a pillar of strength for us, and we just want to carry on her legacy because shortly after Nightbird performed, she passed away in February of 2022. And yet, in 2023, in the summer, once again, her legacy is going forward. Why? Because her legacy was not her own, because her legacy was part of God's legacy. And it's reaching people because she remained faithful, because she spoke hope in the midst of darkness. It went halfway around the world that it caught with other groups. And there's 17 people. And Nightbird got the golden buzzer in 2021. And she and this group got the golden, golden buzzer in, in 2023. And, and it's a beautiful image to me of what God does. Because he finds us and we get the golden buzzer of salvation and he uses that in our lives so that other people get the opportunity to know him and pick up not my legacy, but his legacy. But a lot of times we find it in some lonely, hard places. And I think that's where we're going to find Paul today. So we're going to read um, in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. After these events, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked together, for they were tent makers by trade. And Paul was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood is on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians. As they listened to Paul, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul by a vision at night, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. 
The main thing that I want us to understand this morning that we're going to unpack as we sort of walk through this text is that the response that God wants from us is to trust more in him than in our fear, to know that he is with us what we walk through, and to continue to do the work he has called us to. So we're just going to walk through it now, and, and, and we're going to talk, and as some of you who know me know, I'm not always great with points. But uh, I'm going to ask you some questions, and we're going to pray and ask that God will speak to us. Uh, Starting with verse 1. After these things, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So Corinth is a city that trade would go in all directions, okay? And so the trade routes, they had uh, a foot in both oceans. So from Corinth, you could reach the world. It was a city that was founded in 46, well, it was refounded in 46 BC by Julius Caesar. He actually rebuilt it. And so there was a strong, like, people were very proud. I'm from Corinth, you know, Julius Caesar built our city. Uh, The worship was very similar to Athens. There were a bunch of gods, but there was a temple to Dionysus in Corinth. And the way that you would worship Dionysus was through, uh, with temple prostitutes. And temple prostitutes would roam the streets at night. And so this is a city that very much um, is promoting sexual promiscuity, and it's, it's promoting this, this proud heritage of being a Corinth, and also just the same things that he was walking through in Athens, of being, a, a, you know, of look how smart we are, look at all these gods we have. He sees a lot of that here. But Paul's missionary journey is focused on building a church in this city. And one commentator said the reason why is uh, what they believed is because if trade could go in all directions from Corinth, so could the gospel. So if the gospel could be in Corinth, then the gospel can go out. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having uh, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Priscilla and Aquila were two believers from Rome, and they end up working with Paul in his ministry. We're introduced to them here. We're going to hear about them in other places in Acts, in different letters later on. This command by Claudius is one that was very uh, well known. You can research it. It's, it's not just, uh, it's in history. And what was happening was, is in Rome, the Jews were getting mad at those who were claiming Christ. And they were arguing and having issues with each other. And Claudius got tired of it. And he sort of issued this command. And that command resulted in a lot of the Jews leaving Rome. But I think there's beauty in seeing something here. Because we're going to see, Paul's going to walk through something pretty difficult. And in walking through this, this difficult moment in his life, God brought Priscilla and Aquila in to be co-laborers with him in the gospel. Paul is alone in Corinth, and yet he finds two people that he doesn't have to go to and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Like, he didn't have to say that to him. Why? Because they already knew Jesus. And they were the same. Not only did they already know Jesus, but we, we have the same job, so we can see each other a lot. We can do a lot of the things together, and and we can be together. And Paul's getting ready to walk through something, and yet God lined up some people to be in his life in order to prepare him and be with him as he walks through it. We don't hear anything else about Priscilla and Aquila in the story, okay? So I don't want to make too much of this, but I I do want us to see that there are people that God has brought into your life that he wants you to be around because there are things you may walk through, and you may need them to walk through them. You know, my very best friend, he's my brother, is Howard. And there was a time in our lives where we were together and then separated. And then a time God started bringing us back together. But at first, Howard was telling me, like, hey, you need to come back home. And I was like, brother, nope, nope, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then God brought me back to a place. I was like, yeah, I do, I don't need to just be home. I need to be with my brother. 
Why? Because we're co-laborers. Because there's things in life I'm walking through, and it would be foolish of me to walk through them by myself when I have such a close person in the Lord that I could walk through them with. Are you walking alone this morning? Are there things that you are walking through? And there's not a person in this room that you look at and go, oh, I've, I've let them know I need to walk through it with them. Or do you choose that? I'm going to be strong enough. Life is difficult, but you know what? I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to have enough positive thinking. I'm going to make enough checklists. And I'm going to do it all, and I'm going to be okay, and I'm going to do it my way. We're not saved into just a relationship with me and God. We're saved into a family of God. And God puts us together for a reason. We try to model this in church. We have hope groups during the year that, that you can join. Uh, maybe you're at work. Maybe if there are believers at work, there are people you can connect to. We also, we encourage everyone to do D groups or equipping classes. Why? Because we believe that being connected is, is something that's going to help us to be successful for the Lord as we walk through this life. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. And they worked together, for they were tent makers by trade. And Paul was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul comes to these two. He's able to join them. We know that they are the same trade. This word tent maker could mean leather maker. Um, and in order for this period of life, what we see is Paul is working five, six days a week so that on the synagogue day, the Sabbath day, whenever they go to synagogue, he could go and he could reason in the synagogue. But for this season of his life, he had to work really hard to make ends meet in order to do the ministry that he needed to do. He didn't work really hard and go, man, I'm really tired. I don't know if I can invest in the synagogue today. Man, I'm really tired. I don't know if I have it in me to, to go and reason. I've been working really hard, and this is my only day off. This is my time. Man, this is a really long day. My hands are really tired. We don't see that. We see Paul going, no, no, I'm on mission for the Lord. I'm on mission for the Lord when I work, but I'm on mission for the Lord that on my day off is actually the Lord's day. And so what God wants to do with the day is the thing I need to do, not what I want to do. We're going to get in your business today, <laughs> Okay. Do we see in our lives a desire to serve the Lord, or do we see a desire to serve ourselves? Do we see in us that when I have, I work really hard, and when I finally get that day off, that I go and I spend that time and go, well, what do I want to do? Versus what does the Lord want me to do? Maybe I'll attend church, but I don't know if I want to serve. Well, I'll serve, but only if it's convenient. If it's not convenient, I can just call in sick. They can get someone else at the church to fill in for me. Well, you know, I, I really could maybe pray about visiting with my neighbors, engaging my community, but it's been a really long week. We are put on this earth for a purpose, and we have a limited time to make as much of him as we can. So let's do it. <laughs> Right? Like, let, let's do that. Let's, let's realize that and go, oh, and I'm not saying you won't be tired. You'll be tired. You will be in a bad mood at times, but you'll be a bad mood doing what the Lord's asking you to do. There are moments in my life where I walked through some pretty tough addiction. And there were so many times that I would turn to my addiction whenever I would go, oh, I've worked really hard, or oh, I'm on this really, like, I've done a lot of good stuff, let me go now and reward myself with my addiction. 
And there were other times where it was like, oh, the week's really been hard, it's really been hard. Let me turn to my addiction so that I can, I can get uh, what I need to get out of that. But all of it was about me getting what I want. And it's the same thing that fools us today to go, hey, instead of getting up early to go to church, maybe take a nap and watch it online. Now, I know there are some people who are staying home, and that is a ministry. But if you are staying home and you could be here, you should be here. And maybe there are people here that we have asked time and time again, and like, hey, we need people to get involved. And you're like, oh, but they're not me, right? Why not you? Why not? All right, we're going to keep going. I love you. I do. <laughs> I promise. I promise. The Lord has led me through <laughs> so much in order to say this to you this morning. Okay? We're going to keep going. Okay, so in this season of Paul's life, he, w- he had to work in order to do the ministry God called him to. Now let's keep going. Verse 5, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So what happens is when Silas and Timothy come down from Macedonia, Paul is now freed up to do the ministry of the word full time. Okay? So that tells us one of two things. Either um, Silas and Timothy show up and they go, hey, Paul, we're going to do the work and we're going to provide for you. So we're going to go and we're gonna, we'll do our jobs and you're going to do and from what we're making, we're going to give so that you can do the ministry of the Lord. Or it also could be that Macedonia sent a gift down with them in order to bless Paul. And then Paul was able, because of this blessing, they sent. And I think it was probably a combination of the two. I think they probably brought a gift from Macedonia. And then they were like, hey, we're co-laborers of the gospel. But right now, you have work to do, and we're going to support you in that work. And so then Paul's time is freed up, and Paul goes, oh, my goodness. Someone just provided my salary, right? Like, I've got all this extra time now. You know what? Man, I'm going to probably I may take a little vacation, Right? I may slip in till 10, 11 a.m. I mean, I don't have to work anymore. I've got, and I, as long as I show up to synagogue on, on, you know, to do it on the one day a week, like, whoo, feels good. That's what he did, right? No. Y'all are quiet. He didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't, right? He didn't. He, he said, oh, now that my time is free, I can devote myself fully to the ministry. So let me ask you this question, because in this season of Paul's life, he now can devote himself fully. Why? Because the, the, he has provided for. If tomorrow you gained an inheritance, if tomorrow I gained, I won the lottery, okay? Now some of you are like, oh, he plays the lottery. Okay, no, but I'm just saying, America's got talent in the lottery. What's happening? Um, I'm just saying, if we, won the, if we won all this money, if all of our needs were provided, our families were provided for, and we didn't have to work, what does our life look like? Do we look at that and go, oh, thank goodness, finally I could take a break. I could buy a bigger house. Maybe I could buy a bigger car and do a better thing for the college fund for my kids. Oh, look, this list of things that I've made for the priorities of my life, I could finally provide for them all. But on that list of priorities, is it to do ministry and the work of the Lord above every other priority? Nothing wrong with savings count. Nothing wrong with having dreams. Nothing wrong with necessarily wanting to have, well, it might be something wrong with wanting to have something bigger and better all the time. But... The big error that we make is if we aren't desiring, if we aren't focused on God, if you do this, it will free me to do ministry. It will free me to serve you every day of the week. Why? Because every day of the week, Paul was already serving God. 
Paul was already serving as a tent maker. And when he was a tent maker, he was doing that for the glory of God. And then when he go to the synagogue, he's doing that for the glory of God because his life was about the ministry that God had called him to and our lives should be about the ministry that God has called us to. There's a specific calling that Paul had. Paul was, a, a, uh, he was an evangelist. He was spreading the gospel. He was planting churches, right? And that's specific. But there's a general calling that each of us have to, to go out and spread the gospel, the Great Commission, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. Okay, Great Commandment, Great Commission is to go and teach and baptize, telling them everything that Jesus has done. We have a mission that we're called to. That if Jesus is in our life, we have a mission. Are we on that mission? Or do we go, oh, Sunday, okay. This is what I do Sundays. Oh, my time, work, oh, Bible study, D, D group, segment. Or we go, hey, all of this is the Lord's. God, what do you want to do? Verse 6, but when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood is on your own heads, I am clean, from now on I will go to the Gentiles. So here we see that the response of the Jewish people were uh, they resisted. That means they battled against Paul, and they blasphemed. They started lying about him and making false statements, sorry, and derogatory statements of what this God that Paul was talking about. We know from previous places in Paul's journey that when the synagogue got riled up, they would stone him. They drug him out of town. They left him for dead. And so Paul does this thing, okay, that the youths say, uh, he shakes them haters off, all right? It's the original. It says he, he knocks the dust. He looks, I'm using Howard Deluxe's, right? What now, right? Like, it, look, it sounds silly to us, right? But what he's doing is something that Jesus talked about in uh, Matthew 10. And, and Jesus said, when he sent out the, the 70, he said, hey, if someone doesn't receive you, he says, shake the dust from your cloak, Okay? And so not only did Jesus say this, but in Jewish culture, this was a sign. And what this sign meant is, I don't have fellowship with you anymore. I'm not, we're not the same. We're not together anymore. And what Paul is saying is he's looking at the Jewish people who he was Jewish by birth, and he was, frankly, more Jewish than the people in the room because he was, he was seeing the fulfillment of their religion in Jesus Christ. But he's looking at them and he's saying, you know what? I've had enough. I no longer have fellowship with you. These Jewish guys, typically, they would do it with Gentiles. And they would do it anytime they were around Gentiles. They would knock that dust off so everyone knew, oh, no, got to get them off me. And yet Paul's turning to them and saying, no, no, I'm doing it to you so I can go to the Gentiles. My fellowship is not with people who are not about the gospel, who are going to lie about my Savior, who are going to respond in ways that are violent towards the work that Jesus wants to do in this life. I can't have fellowship with you. We aren't the same. And so Paul does that. And then he says, your blood be on your own heads. This is a uh, reference to Ezekiel 33. And in Ezekiel 33, uh, it's about the watchman. And the watchman is on the gate. And in, in uh, verse 3 it says, And he, the watchman, sees a sword coming upon the land and blows the horn and warns the people. Then someone who hears the sound of the horn but does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. So Paul is telling them, he's saying, Hey, 
I've done my part. Your blood is on your own head now. I have come as a watchman to tell you it is dangerous not to accept Jesus Christ. It is dangerous not to look at him as the savior of the world. But you are rejecting it and there is a sword coming and now it's on you. Because I've got more work to do and from now on I'm going to the Gentiles. And so Paul here is, is faithfully telling them the truth in a very hard way. See, their response to Paul, the Jewish response, is they wanted to fight. The truth of God's being proclaimed, no, I want to fight, I want to disagree. I want to tell Paul why he's so wrong and I'm so right. But they didn't want to consider that they were sinful and consider that Jesus was the truth that they need. So what about the way we respond when the word is proclaimed? I want you to imagine, and it's really hard to imagine, okay? But I want you to imagine our pastor, Alan, and Alan being here, standing up one Sunday and saying, one, right, dusting off. Uh, that was my Alan, in case you're wondering, okay. Um, so Alan dusts, dusts, and he says, you know what? From now on, you're on your own. I've given you warnings. I've given you things to do. From now on, I'm going out to do ministry where ministry needs to be done. And it's on you now. Your blood's on your own heads. I've, I've asked you, he's asked us to respond in prayer. He's asked some of us to be in hope groups. He's asked some of us to be in, in equipping classes. He's asked some of us to do these things that he thinks will make us to serve within this body, to serve in children's and, and nursery and worship and tech and youth and all of these areas. He says, you know what, I've asked. And for those of you who haven't responded at all, who still just think that you can do whatever you want, okay, fine. Your blood's on your own hands. How many of us would go, man, what is his problem? What's going on with him? How many of us would go, fine, I'll go to another church. You don't want me at this church? Fine. I'll go to another church where I can go and do where I'm comfortable. And I can go and sit and do what I want to do. Or how many of us would go, he's wrong and I'm right. And I'm right because I'm right. And so I don't have to listen to him because he's wrong. And how many would say, you know what? Maybe there's a reason God put him as my pastor. Maybe there's a reason that the elders of this church are the elders of this church, that the vision of this church is the vision of this church, and I'm a member here, and I agreed to be faithful, and there is sin and other priorities in my life that I, are, I am worshiping above the Lord, and maybe I just need to be more faithful and surrender to what God's doing. Because I think that that's what God was asking here of these people and he's asking us today. Can I just tell you that how we respond to challenges and truth from Scripture, how we respond to these things is between us and the Lord. My response to obedience is between me and God, but my response to the Lord will affect every other relationship in my life. My, let me say it again. My response is between me and the Lord. There's nothing I can do. And, and I can, if you're feeling shame right now, if you, that, I can't do that, okay? You're, that, it's between you and the Lord, whatever's going on right now, okay? So your response is between you and the Lord. But your response to God, either in obedience or disobedience, 
That response affects every other relationship in your life. It affects your relationship with your family, with your job, your relationship in the church. It has an effect on these relationships, and we can't act like it doesn't. And so if you're thinking, why are the pastors or the elders always asking something of us? My question is, how are you responding day in and day out to what God is asking through them? If you aren't willing to surrender and obey in your daily life, with the Lord, you won't suddenly start doing it on Sunday mornings. You won't suddenly start doing it in your equipping class. And if we only look to respond on Sunday mornings, we won't start doing our daily life. God is looking for a response every single day as we walk with him. So maybe we can ask God, Lord, teach us to surrender and teach us to be humble. Lord, help me not to stand on my pride Let me fight for you, God, not against you. Let's keep going. He left the synagogue, uh, verse 7, and went to the house of a man named Titus Justice. This was great, 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 grandpappy Justice. Um, And so, (laughs) I told you. Um, So, uh, and he was a worshiper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. I love this. Paul's like, I'm out! And then he goes next door. Um, And so, like, he leaves and he goes next door and we have Titius Justice, who's a worshiper of God. So this is a Gentile person that knows the Lord um, and he lives right there. And then verse 8, we, we don't know what happened. But the leader of the synagogue, verse 8, Crispus, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, as they listened to Paul, were believing and being baptized. And so now Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, gets saved. We don't really know. Was it Paul's rebuke? What did God do? But he draws him and, and his whole household. And then other people are being saved. And Paul is proclaiming the gospel to Corinth. And this gospel, if you don't know it, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that says the Son of God stepped out. Out of heaven and stepped into time and put flesh on to live a perfect sinless life and died on a cross but he didn't stay dead he was raised to walk in the newness of life so that we could follow and walk in that newness of life so we could have salvation so that our relationship with God could work and be healed a relationship that there was a great chasm fixed between And Jesus did that, and Paul's proclaiming that, and Corinthians are coming to know the Lord. And at that point, everyone's high-fiving, and everyone's like, we did it, we told some people off, people are getting saved, and and that's it, right? That's not it, because there's this other part of the story where God shows up, and the Lord talks in a vision. I think this really shows us what we're getting ready to see is Paul's humanity. Why? Because Paul's dealing with some fear now. And at this moment that everything has went well and people are getting saved, Paul now is thinking about giving up. We don't know why. We can guess. He had been rejected. He had been hurt. He was angry. He was human. There were lies being spread. People were threatening him. And that was just from the good guys. That was from the Jewish people in the synagogue. We also know he lived in a city that, that idolized itself. And it was very proud. Look at how proud we are. I'm proud to be a Corinthian, right? Like, I mean, that's what they would do. Like, that's what they would stand on that above all else. They were proud of their leaders. They promoted sexual promiscuity as a way to worship. Paul was mocked. He was viewed as less intelligent, less sophisticated, and less spiritual. And all of this is happening while Paul is actively pursuing and doing what the Lord is asking him to do. 
And just like these things happen to Paul, these things happen today when we step in and do the ministry that God calls us to do. There will be people close to you that lie about you. There will be people close to you that hurt you, that battle against you. You will walk in a world, especially here in America, that champions uh, diverse sexuality, that champions patriotism. And there's nothing wrong with being a patriot, but there's something wrong when I worship being a patriot over being a follower of Jesus. And we walk in this world and it hurts and it's hard. And while it seems like Paul should be shouting praises because things are going good, we find the Lord visit him by night in verse 9 says this, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. We know where Paul is because God starts by talking to him and says, do not fear. We know in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually says, I came to you in fear and trembling, claiming to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Paul is like, I am terrified to do this work. So many times we look at Paul and we're like, well, Paul did it. Paul was this great guy, right? Like he was larger than life. And we, and we do this to our leaders. Um, my wife, I'll, I'll put her on uh, spotlight on her for a little bit. She's wonderful. I love her. Um, so there's a verse in James 3, 2 that says we all stumble in many ways. And one day, like, it hit her that, like, oh, even pastors and even our leaders have humanity that they deal with. That this idea that they're the super spiritual and only the super spiritual have to follow God in super ways. No, we follow the Lord if we are called by his name, if we have repented of our sins. And it's not like we become, like, a superhero in doing it. We become human and we follow. And so the Lord comes to him and he says something that he has said time and time again. He says, don't be afraid for I am with you. So keep on. Keep on preaching. Keep on ministering. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God calling and reminding his servants this very thing. Do not fear, for I am with you. This is something that Moses told the Israelites before sending them to the promised land with Joshua in Deuteronomy. Something that God said to Joshua when he started leading the people at the beginning of Joshua. Uh, In Jeremiah, the, the Lord spoke this to Jeremiah when calling him to be a prophet. And time and time again, the Lord says, don't be afraid. Why? For I am with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. See, the difference maker, and God is reminding Paul, is I am with you. You are looking at your fears. You're looking at people. Your problem is not people. Your problem is you aren't looking to me. Man, that, I mean, people, you know why people are so hard to deal with in the church and outside the church? Because they're just as sinful as I am. They're just as evil. They're just as manipulative. They're just as sinful as I am. And that's why it's so difficult. Because I want to look at them and act like they're more sinful than me. And they're the reason that I'm having problems. And what I realize is, like, you're going to deal with sinful people. Right? Like that, I'm still here. There's a purpose. God wants to do something more. Why? Because he says, I've got more people. I've got more people in this city. That's what he tells Paul. And the beautiful thing is not all of them had responded yet. God was looking out and saying, no, no, I know my sheep. There are more people. There are people who have responded. There are people who are going to respond. And I need you to keep on because in my plan, I have des- I'm using you to reach these people for my glory, to get them to be on mission with me as well. But when you start looking at people every time, every time, people will always, always 
there's, there's rare ones. Most of the time, you'll be disappointed and you'll be hurt. But Jesus was disappointed. Jesus was hurt more than any of us. Paul was hurt, stoned physically. We just get our feelings hurt. They drag him out of town, right? They want to kill him. And we're called to keep on. We don't know why exactly Paul was in fear, but we know the answer for his fear was found in the presence of God and in staying on mission for the Lord. So let me ask you today, are you in a place where you are afraid and you're considering giving up? Paul was called to spread the gospel through evangelism and and traveling town to town, but, but what are you called to? And this is a real question, this is something to consider, because this morning, if you don't know, I I talked about the general call that all of us have, right, of spreading the gospel, of loving God, of loving our neighbor, but also, like, if you're a husband, did you know you're called to be a faithful husband? If you're a wife, you're called to be a faithful wife. You don't get to just do whatever you want. If if you are a a father, a a mother, you're, you're called to be faithful in that. There are some here who are called to, if you have a job, do you know you're called to be faithful at your job and and you're to do your work at your job as if the Lord is your boss and not any other boss in the room? See, all of us have these callings in our life and for some reason, these are areas that a lot of times we're willing to give up on because I'm afraid and it's hard. So maybe I want to, maybe I want to quit my job. Maybe I want to, maybe I want to quit my marriage. Maybe this morning you find yourself and you're like, I don't know if I can be a dad anymore. I don't know if I can be a mom anymore. Maybe you find yourself in a season of life where, I mean, I know we have some homebound who are watching here and some of you who are only able to come on Sundays and a lot of your week, you're home. You're like, maybe I'm just done. Maybe there's nothing else for me to do yet. But if there is a breath in your lungs, I believe the Lord wants to use you. I believe it. I, I can't tell you exactly what it looks like. I, I can tell you this, God doesn't want you to quit. God, God doesn't want you to isolate and give up on life. He doesn't want to isolate and give up on your marriage. He doesn't want you to isolate and give up on your kids. God wants to use us. And for Paul, he did this by reminding him through a vision. For, for us, he reminds us through his word. He reminds us through meditation prayer. He may not send you a vision. You may not get a vision. If you do, amen, praise God. But you may not. But he also, he's already giving you. He's giving you this church. He's giving you accountability and fellowship. He's giving you other believers here. And some of us may be in a place where we're so isolated and so hurt and trauma has happened to us. He may need to, to walk us into a season of therapy with, with someone who's professional that can help us to heal. I had to. I was in therapy for three years. Had a counselor. My wife joined me for two of those years, and it's, it was amazing for that healing that was able to take place because of what the Lord has done. But I know this, today your answer is not found in fear. It's not found in quitting, but in pushing into the presence of God. There are some of us in here, there's this idea of quiet quitting. You ever heard this? It sort of happened after COVID. We started calling it. I think it's been around for a long time. We start calling it something, right? It's where you show up, do the bare minimum, but you're there, and then, then you just, you know, you get that paycheck. But I think, how many of us have quite quit on the church? Ooh, like our job's one thing, right? But how many of us show up? We're there. We filled the seat. I'll even serve, but I don't really invest anymore. 
Maybe I don't believe anymore that God wants to use this church or use me in it or do the ministry like I've believed before. Maybe I'm focusing on the wrong things and I've quiet quit and I'm coming so that people won't hassle me and so people say, how are you doing? I say, oh, it's good. And they ask for a prayer request. I'm like, well, you can pray about my job. You can pray about this. And I do all this, but there is no longer my heart is not in the ministry and work that God is doing. You can repent today. That's not what God has for you. He doesn't want you there. It's not found in isolation. This is something I do still. Try to run to these areas where I'm just by myself. And there, there might be time where it's healthy to go and meditate. But I never need a view that I'm with myself without the Lord. Maybe you run to a hobby. Maybe you binge watch a show. Or maybe you run to your anxiety and your fear and you sit in it. And you believe that it's the truth above the truth of God's word. And sadly, even in this room, there are people that are running to something else. There are some of you who have considered, if you're not actively doing it, running to another person other than your spouse. There are some of you who are thinking about running to another job just because, well, I'm just not, you know, maybe I don't need this one anymore. You're just running to run. There's one place we need to run to. That's the Lord. And we let him direct our steps. God hasn't called you to quiet quit. God has called you to keep on. Keep on at your job. Keep on being a workman. Keep on praying. If you're homebound, God wants you to keep on praying. Keep on reading. Keep on believing. Keep on reminding the wisdom that you have because of the closeness of the Lord that you walk with. God wants you to keep on in your marriage, keep loving. And if you're thinking about walking out in your spouse, I challenge you this, start serving your spouse. Start serving your kids. Keep loving your neighbor, even if your neighbor acts in a way that hurts you, that scourges you. You may need boundaries. You may need boundaries with with a neighbor if they're abusing you. That's wise. In your marriage, there are limits sometimes of, of safety and just stuff that you can involve others in. Like, that's all true. But the idea that we just quit because we want to quit because it's too hard, because we're too fearful, is something we need to invite the Lord into. I know I do this. I know I get frustrated. Everything I'm telling you, I've been through. And you know what's beautiful? God is so good that he will show up when you're watching AGT. And he'll remind you, I'm not done with you yet either. Like Paul, we're called to keep on. Why? Because God wasn't done with Paul yet, and he's not done with us yet either. God's still not done with Paul. He's still using Paul's life and Paul's letters today. Why? Because Paul's life and Paul's letters were about the legacy of what God wanted to do. And so God isn't done with you and I. This morning, if there are areas that you have given up, if there are areas you have isolated, if there are areas that you have stopped, I'm going to ask for a response this morning. But I'm not looking for just a response in this room. And I want you to just come pray and feel bad. I'm saying let's respond in a way that changes the steps of our lives as we leave this place. If you need to pray this morning, come and pray. I'm here. Howard's here. The altar's here. There will be other people I know who are willing to pray with you in this room. If there's someone this morning you need to talk to, you need to be reconciled with, respond in that, that you've been isolating from. If there's a fear in your life that seems too big, grab your husband, grab your spouse, grab your friend, and say, I need to talk, and I need to confess this, and I don't need to be alone in it. 
Respond by leaving here and taking up the work of the gospel, not just on Sundays, not just when you're signing up to serve, but on every single day of your life that you consider, God, what are you doing and what have you called me to? And then, as you are responding, be ready to be a Priscilla and Aquila. Be ready to be there for other people who are following the gospel, who are walking through hard times, and you get to serve alongside of. The response that God desires from us today is to trust him more than our fear, to live life in him and through him, and continue to do the work he has called us. God is not done with you yet, and there are people in this world he can use to reach with the gospel. Let's pray.